book of Ruth chapter 4. As we finish up here this favorite book of Wednesday night. We will see clearly the Kingsman Redeemer. And how important that is, we understand and make the connection of the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, but also for us with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Make the connection. We'll summarize that at the very end. We see here in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where we left off where it was a shocking moment for Ruth and, of course, Naomi as well, but especially Ruth when she heard the words directly from Boaz, who Naomi and her believed was the kinsman redeemer. The one Ruth would come and humble herself at the feet of Boaz, basically saying, Please be my kinsman redeemer. You're a relative. You're the one who can marry me and we can, I can have a child and, and, and Lord would bless me with a male child to continue the name, Elimelech's name, the family name, since both his sons, Naomi's sons, had died. And she now being part of the family, the daughter, she can continue that family line if she gets married and has a male child. And Naomi had an aha moment telling Ruth, guess what? The guy you've been getting to know because you've been hanging with his young women, reaping from the, his fields, and he's been so kind to you, but to me as well, Naomi says. He is our relative. He can be that kinsman redeemer. He could be your husband, Ruth. And Ruth was in agreement. Even though it appears that Boaz was much older than Ruth, we do not know how much older but it appears to be older because of the reference we saw in chapter 3. Boaz didn't think this was going to be an option, that she would even care to have him as the kinsman's redeemer, as her husband, because he makes a note. Your kindness is incredible, he says. You could have chosen any young man, poor or rich, good luck in your battle. You could have had any one of these guys to fulfill your need to end protection as a, for a husband and to provide for you. But you chose me. But then the shock came. Lie right here when you get up in the morning, take off, make sure no one knows. I, think he, I believe he even warned his, his workers who were hanging with him, protecting the grain that had just been harvested. Don't say anything. Don't tell anybody there was a woman that was laying at my feet. Because you know how the word would get around in a small town. That there was a, a woman throwing herself at your feet and wanting to get married to you. Don't let that word get out. Why? Because Boaz was going to remind her and shocked her. And went back and shocked Naomi. 
there's one a kingsman uh, who is closer in relative in in the line of relatives is actually closer. I'm not the next one. I'm not the kingsman redeemer. There's another one that has to be asked first. It must have shocked them because Naomi did not realize and remember this. This is where we pick up the story and finish the story. It ends well, of course. We all know the end of the story. But look what happens here. He says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Just happened to come by, right? Came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Can you picture it? Remember, at the gate is where all the kind of like the the honored men would sit there. That was kind of where the city council sat. That's where court took place. That's where any really uh, business deals were to take place in that open court right there. So there was witnesses and you could have the men who were prominent men of that day would be able to be seek after or to get uh, ruling or judge between two differences and some conflict. All of that took place at the gate. So Boaz, that morning, you can picture, early in the morning, Ruth got up before anyone could see her. No one could see each other. Remember, Boaz couldn't even, didn't even know who she was. She had to ask, who are you, woman? You know, like, who are you? So she gets home to see Naomi. Where did Naomi go? Who is that? Even Naomi couldn't even see because the light wasn't out just yet. As soon as the morning broke, you know where Boaz headed? Right for the gate. Where? Because that's where all the commerce and deals are going on and business and court and decisions and judgments or judgings. All of that is at this gate. So he knew if he just sat there long enough, this other relative, this other kinsman would come by. He just knew he had to just hang there for a while because you couldn't get in and out of the, of the city unless you're coming through the gate. And sure enough, here comes the guy. And Boaz gets his attention. Notice what he says in his words here in the scripture. And the ancient Greek word is very, is very interesting. Because we see him calling, saying, come aside, friend. In that Greek, ancient Greek, Hebrew language, I should say, it means Mr. So-and-so. So he's sitting at the gate and he sees the guy coming. He says, hey, Mr. So-and-so. Friend, meaning I don't remember your name almost. You're not as honorable and as, as prominent as I, I, I you know, maybe he, that's why that guy is just passing through. And he didn't call him out by his a prominent name, an honored name. He called him so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. And what did the guy do? He said, come sit down here. And so when he came and he sat down, he immediately Boaz turned to the prominent elders that were also there, the spiritual leaders, were also at those gates to, to what? To, to, to rightly divide the word of God, to, to, to share the word of God, to make sure people were in line with the word of God. And there's these, el- these all these elders are gathering right there. And he says to the ten of those elders of the city, come, sit right here. I'm about to say something, make a deal here. I'm about to address something with this Mr. So-and-so. And they came and they sat. Why? Boaz was prominent. Of course they were to come and listen. 
And Boaz must have surprised and shocked Ruth at this moment, not only at that moment in time, but we do not know if Ruth and Naomi came to the gate. We don't know if they were there listening and watching this taking place. But we do know. As we, because we're sitting here and Boaz is um, sitting down and he's looking at this. I, you go back and you just think about this a little bit when you ponder the word. Back in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, who are you? I'm Ruth. I want, I want you to marry me. He didn't sit there and go, oh, whoa, yeah, let's, I, yeah, of course I want to get married. I'm, I'm, you're so kind. I can't believe you didn't pick a younger guy here. But when you ponder on this a little bit, I sat there and I, Lord, Boaz had been pondering in his head, I wonder if I can marry Ruth. I wonder if I can marry Ruth. Nah, he, she, he, she don't want anything to do with me. She gonna want, she's not going to want an older man. He, he, she can have a pick of any guy. This is where I believe that Boaz, in the back of his mind, even though he hadn't sent it to anybody, he had been pondering on this, the fact that he is a relative. He knew he was a relative. And could he be the kinsman redeemer? He had already pre-thought through this and said, no, Mr. So-and-so, I don't even know his name. I know he's a nearer relative than me. Because he immediately had the answer right there on the threshing floor. He didn't have to have time to think it through. He immediately was telling her, hey, I can't be your kingsman redeemer. There is someone closer than you, to you as a relative. So this man had already been pondering in his head. How long? Probably every week through each of the two seasons. Remember, it had been some time between two seasons of, of harvesting that he got to know, to know Ruth. And now we see him... Now taking place where he says, hey, I, I'll take care of this. You just go back to Naomi. Here's a, some six-day supply. She'll get the point that I am guaranteeing I'm going to go work this deal out because I'm coming back for you. And Naomi understood that. And that's why she said, be still to Naomi, until Ruth. Be still. You may not know what's going to happen and how it's going to play out. We're not going to get involved with this. We're not going to get into manipulating this to make this all happen. We're just going to be still at this moment. Be quiet. Just be still. Let's see how God's going to work this through because this little six barley, measures of barley tells me he's going to make this complete. He's going to make this all deal work out. And sure enough, he gets here he asks him to sit down, and then he says in verse 3, Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, I thought to inform you, and in a nice way, I thought to inform you, if you hadn't got a clue, I'm going to make you get a clue, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. No pressure. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me. I want you to make a decision right now is really what he's saying to him. There's a tremendous pressure on this man to make a decision. Right now, don't, don't tell me. Let me go away and think about it. Give me 24, 40 hours to pray about it and I'll come back. No, no. Boaz was making a deal here. He was putting pressure on him. There's no question about that here in my mind as I ponder on this. 
And he also put it in front of witness, elders, spiritual leaders, to get this man to make a decision. And watch what happens. Boaz, if you redeem it, redeem it. Don't, don't be swayed. It'd be a yes, your yes, or no, no. Be redeem it, redeem it. But if you do not, you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So he, he laid it out there. There is some land that Elimelech, our brother, his wife Naomi, they sold it. They went down to Moab. She's now back. She has nothing. She's, she wants to get her land back. Will you be the Kingsman Redeemer and, because you're able to do that according to God's law? Because the duty of the Goel, the Kingsman Redeemer, was more than just a duty to preserve the family name of his brother in Israel. It was also to keep land allotted to the members of the clan within the clan. See, when Israel came into the promised land during the days of Joshua, if you remember, when we studied Joshua, the land was divided among the tribes. We all know that, 12 tribes. But if you remember, when we studied that, not only did they divide the land among the 12 tribes, they also divided and divvied up the actual parcel among the family groups. Not just the 12 tribes, but within the tribes, they divided up the land so everyone had a piece of land to their name. It was important for the structure and for provision and all these things. And God set it up where God intended that the land stay within the tribe, but also within the family group so that the land could never permanently be sold. So for understanding, for if you're in a bad deal and you were really struggling and you needed to sell it desperately and people were willing to buy it, it was fine because eventually every 50 years it had to be returned to the original family group. Where do we see that? Leviticus chapter 25 verses 8 through 17. So if you lost a bad deal, you didn't manage your money well, and for you to be able to have money to, whatever the circumstances, 50 years, basically a generation, right? That land would come back to the family group and it would come back, it would never permanently be disappeared. Now, but 50 years is a long time. So God put in a provision for the land could be, that was sold that it might be redeemed back to the family by the kinsman redeemer. So the kinsman redeemer could step in before those 50 years and actually purchase the land for them to bring it back within the clan, within the, the family group, to be able to have and to be able to use that land and, and prosper from that land. And again, the kinsman redeemer had the responsibility to protect the person, yes. They had the responsibility to, to protect the property, make sure the property is brought back into the family group. But they also had the, 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 the responsibility of the generation or the prosperity of the fact that they needed to make sure they married, have children, so that the family land through generation upon generation would be intact. All of these duties were together. And that's what the kinsman redeemer was responsible to do. And so here's this piece of land. Boaz brought the matter to the nearest kinsman. 
brought it into the matter regarding the property. He only addressed the property. He didn't address the person or, <laughs> or the generation of having babies. He didn't do that. He just stuck it to the land. Interesting. But something that a man would be interested in. So he said, hey, Mr. So-and-so, you're the nearest kingdom, you know Naomi, I know you're a relative, here's it is, there's some land available, we want to get the land back now, not wait the 50 years, you know the law, let's bring it back here for Naomi. And he immediately tells him, right in front of all the elders, I redeem it. Why wouldn't you? You're going to get land, you get the land back into the, the family grouping. This is a good thing for you, you're thinking this is sweet. I'm going to get, have an opportunity to get some more land, work the land, make the money, well, this is going to be great. So Boaz put in terms of purely the land transaction here in front of the elders. And no hesitation, I will redeem it. Again, we don't know if Ruth and Naomi were there watching and listening. I have the tendency to lean that they weren't there, but if they were there, can you think about the sinking feeling in the pit of the stomach of Ruth and Naomi if they were listening to that conversation at the gate? You're, you're thinking, perfect, Boaz, you're going to marry Boaz, this is going to be great, this is really, they've been, he's blessed us, and all of a sudden find out you're going to go marry Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> and she would have to. Why? Because Boaz brought it to his attention back of the land. But we know by the law, you do not get to just pick and choose just the land. You must bring the land along with the persons and continue the generation upon generation, meaning you have to commit to have a baby and have babies until you have what? A boy. Are you with me? So you can see the scenario that's pretty intense right here going on here. He's this guy so-and-so says, I redeem it. But then Boaz then says, and almost like finishes his sentence, he paused way too long, right? It was almost one of those negotiations. Let me just put it out there and let me pause before I finish my sentence so you can react before I finish my words. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. That changes the deal. Because look what happens here. Because when Boaz put out the surprise little end of his thoughts, reminding this Mr. So-and-so, you're just focused on the land, but you have to remember, everything else comes with it. And he told him, wasn't only dealing with Naomi, but the property of Elimelech, but it also had to deal with Ruth because she was the only one that could bear a child. Naomi was too old to bear a child. So it went to the daughter of that family, in this case, Ruth, who was part of the family now. And Ruth could have the baby and could marry. And so Boaz is laying it all out, the whole package deal now, in front of everybody and all the witnesses and elders. Now, 
Boaz being really wise, or was he really shrewd business dealer? I don't know, but he knew he was going to work something out here, and he knew it was going to be in his favor, or he wouldn't have done it this way. But he framed the occasion. He framed the situation. He got the kingsman to Denver to make a commitment. Now, I pondered on this, and I go, why would he do that? The character of a godly man. Why would he present it with the land and not the whole package deal? Here's what the Lord showed me. I might show you something different. He needed this Mr. So-and-so to make a decision today. Make it now, at that moment, with the elders, with the witnesses. If he gave her the whole package deal, he would have said, let me ponder on it. Let me go back and talk to my wife. Are you with me? So by putting it right up front, he didn't even have to think about it. He knew he would prosper from the land. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't go tell his wife, I'm going to buy some, I'm going to get some land. <laughs> it's going to be a good deal. And we're going to prosper. Wifey's all happy it can be, I assure you. That is why he did it. He wanted to make a decision today. He couldn't wait and let them ponder on it. So he sits there and he presents it. He goes for the, the hook. Then he gets the, when he gets a hold of the hook, he realizes it's a bigger fish than he thought. What happens? Look at verse 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Sure enough, he already made a decision. Now he has to make the really ultimate decision, and he immediately says, no, no, that would ruin my inheritance. How, what does that mean? Maybe his sons were already grown, already allotted the, his inheritances out. So he, that would be messing with his, his, his own kids, his own blood. And now he's introducing a woman and, and all these additional kids are coming in. Think about, wifey, guess what? I got some good news and some bad news. Good news, we're getting more land. It's going to be great for us. It's going to be awesome. We're have more money. There's going to be more, oh, harvest is going to be double, whatever it may be. What's the bad news, honey? Well, someone's going to be moving in. Another woman. That would probably not go well. And oh, by the way, we must have a male child come from that woman. And I'm the one that's supposed to make it happen. So he brought it to light very quickly. He knew that was not going to be what was good and right for his family. So he immediately said, Boaz, you can redeem. You redeem my right of redemption. You take, you, you can have the land, you can have Naomi, you can have Ruth, have the responsibility for a child coming from Ruth. No, 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 I, I can't do it. So what happens? Now this was the custom in, formal, in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. This is where, how they closed the deal to make sure there's no signature on some paperwork here. They did it a little bit different in those days. There was no lawyer sitting around. They had 10 elders witnessing. So what happens in that custom? 
in the former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. The guy who says this Mr. So-and-so had to take his sandal off and literally hand it to Boaz as a symbol in everyone's to see, I am giving you, you take the authority, you have, I'm, I'm, I'm passing over to my responsibility. So the man took off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the cross, the close relatives said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Sure enough. Where do we see this custom? We're signing a deal, signing the contract here in front of witnesses. Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10. Now, in, when you go back and read that today in, 20, in chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, it describes the actual ceremony. And when the woman comes up and the guy says, I'm not marrying you. I'm not going to take you on and, and having children with you. I, I refuse that. I'm not going to be your kingsman redeemer. The, the, the scripture shows us if that kingsman declines his responsibility, the one declining, that woman would remove the sandal from that man, and that woman is then declined to show, you know, to basically he didn't honor the thing. She gets to spit in his face. That would be the ceremony. Give me your sandal and patu. You know, she's she going to make sure everyone knew. He wasn't going to keep up with his responsibility. But in this case, Ruth is not showing up to spit in Mr. So-and-so's face. Why? Because there was not a lack of honor involved here whatsoever. They just did the part of the ceremony involving the sandal to show the official, yes, I'm absolutely giving my responsibility over, and the position I had, I'm giving it over to you, Boaz. You buy it for yourself. You buy the land for yourself and redeem the land. And when you redeem the land, you're going to also re redeem the whole posterity of the future of Emelech, the Elimelech's uh, name, the family name, taking Ruth as your wife and then uh, having children to get that boy. So what happens? And Boaz said in verse 9, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day, that, have, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Milon's. That's Malon's. That's his two sons that passed away. Remember, they were part of the inheritance and they passed here. So everything that those three of those men had any inheritance involved and had, now he is purchasing from the hand of Naomi. Why? Because Naomi couldn't own anything. Everything that would land had disappeared and, we are, and trying to get it back or they had land and they're now she can't have it. It has to be in a guy, that guy's name. So we see that they bought from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Melon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Oh, you know Boaz was a joyful man. You know he was just grinning. Or maybe he was really a businessman keeping really serious 
deal, you know, until he got that sandal from the other guy and made sure the witnesses all knew, he might have been really serious. But you know he was joyful. Why? Because legally, it was a sealing this transaction right here in front of witnesses. That he would redeem, yes, the property and the posterity, the future of the Eliminix family name, and but most of all, he gets to have a wife, a virtuous woman as a wife. Ruth. Beautiful thing. And what happens? As I now have a wife. If you remember, back in chapter 1, Ruth seemed to be giving up on her chance of ever being married again. Do you remember? Everything was bleak. He, she even said, okay, I'm willing to give up my native area, my native tribe, the Moabites. I'm not going to stay there and have high probability of finding another young man and getting married and having children. I'm passing it up. Why? Because she said to Naomi and to God herself from her heart, giving her heart and her life to God of Israel. She drew a line and stepped over that line and said, I'm not going back to the old life. And just as Ruth put God first. Ruth put God first. She stepped over the line. She put God first. And he brought her together in a relationship greater than she could have ever imagined back in, back in the other, other land. And it's so true today. God will bless those wanting to get married in the same way if they only will put him first. I always encourage single people who desire to get married, put God first and let him orchestrate that relationship that he, if he wants to add to your life in that way with a gift of a wife or a, or a husband. And he says to those witnesses, you are witnesses this day. And I want to take a moment and, say, and explain why this is so important, because this explains why a marriage ceremony is so important, even still today. And why it should be recognized by the civil authorities, as well as the religious authority. Boaz had a love for Ruth that was public. It wasn't some little deal that they were just between two people but a love that wanted to be publicly witnessed and registered as they were to be married. Sometimes people wonder why marriage ceremony or a marriage license is important. Can't we just get be married in the eyes of God? God knows we're married. We're, we're one. But there's something severely lacking when you have that mentality. It's severely lacking in a love that doesn't want to proclaim itself. That doesn't want to have witness of this love between man and woman. It doesn't want the bond to be recognized by the civil authorities. And that kind of love, when you don't want to have civil authorities, you don't want to have witnesses, you don't want to have a commitment or you know, your name written, let alone signed, let alone witnesses or acknowledged, it's that love falls short of the true marital love. 
Some will say. But pastor, if we're on a desert island and no one was there to marry us, could we still be married before God? Yes, on a desert island. But you're not on a desert island. There are witnesses, civil authorities, for you to proclaim your commitment in marital love. God designed and desires for us to want us to have that commitment. Verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate, you know the crowd was gathering now, you know that. And the elders and said, we are witnesses. Lord, make, make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. To the two who built the house of Israel. Now you have all the people, all the witnesses. What are they doing? They're asking God for a blessing upon this marriage. And specifically upon the woman, Ruth. They said, we want her to be as fruitful as Rachel and Leah. Why? Because he said, these two women are the ones who, of all the lineage of, of, of this nation. And may your, you prosper in the Ephrathah, a name of, the, of Bethlehem. And then and may you prosper in Bethlehem here. And be famous in Bethlehem. May you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez. From Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. This is what a blessing they were pouring out on this new marriage. They were all happy. We're witnesses. Why? Because we know that the people of that whole town knew she was a virtuous woman and he was probably, he knew, they knew this is, Boaz, you're going to be a blessed man. This is amazing what you're going to be, the Kingsman Redeemer. This was a celebration because people knew what this meant for Ruth's life and Naomi's life. Remember Rachel and Leah between the two of them, they had 13 children between them. And they were the mothers of the whole nation of Israel. That's what the blessing was. This is huge blessing to put on Boaz and Ruth. It's amazing when they were, what they were blessing and asking God to bless them like. But notice we're here in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. I mean, the first time. God made sure she was pregnant, became pregnant, and conceived. Why? Because God, and this obviously, as we see this playing out, it's God's will, it's God's timing. Everything was just a, a blessing upon them. It's the gift of children was never taken for granted in Israel. Remember, we just take it for granted. Oh, we're going to wait and get, you know, do some our own time. And then after about a year to two, then we're going to just, then we'll start and then we'll do this. You know, like we plan this out like we have control. That's not how they thought back then. 
It was a miracle to get pregnant and a miracle to keep a child and a miracle to have offspring. It was a gift. It was a celebration. It wasn't planned. It wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't chemically induced or any other kind of induced or any kind of, you had control. That's not how they thought. The fact that Boaz and Ruth was able to raise up a son. Notice, he gave him a child. What was the first child they gave? The son. Remember, the name had to continue. God blessed him not only to get pregnant the first time, but also have a, a son the first time. What evidence of God's blessing upon this couple? But notice, even the blessing continues. Look at what happens. The blessing on, on the life of Naomi. Look at, then the, woman, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. Again, a blessing upon them. May this, this child just, I mean, be such a blessing and famous. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Oh, this son is going to be such a blessing to you, Grandma. <laughs> this child, this grandbaby is going to be such a blessing to you. Oh, Naomi, we're just so excited for you. For your grand, for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Oh, she's given you a son, a grandson. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. <laughs> I was reading this and studying this. I said, oh, Kathleen, guess what? You're a nurse. What? What are we having a flashback of what we used to do? No, no, you're a nurse. Because you got little Presley right there and any of your grandchildren on your bosom there you know, and caring for them and, pro and providing for them and taking again for You're like a nurse to him, to her and to, to the other grandbabies. That's a new title for her now. As a, as, a, as a grandma, you're a nurse too when you have that little one in your hands and taking care of them. Look at here. Look at the blessing. She, Naomi has a grandson. The name is continuing. What it, what it must have meant for her so deep within the fact that her husband and her both boys had died in, in such mourning and such impact. Remember when she came back, she, she had nothing. I just, Mara, I'm bitter. I have nothing. And look at what the Lord has done to me. And then she just didn't know the full picture of what God was doing. And now he's going to bless her with Ruth as a daughter-in-law who's going to bring forth a child, a grandson, to minister to her and, to, and will become very famous in Israel. That was a blessing. Naomi, never, Ruth never left you, Naomi. And look what God has done in and through your life and her life and now your, grand, your grandson. What would happen if Naomi was decided she was so bitter that she wouldn't return back to God? The situation was so bad that she would not return back to God. 
and go back home. You see what the impact would have been? What impact? Are you pondering on what, what that impact would be? Ah, let's continue. Here's what the impact would have been. If she chose to remain bitter and not return back to Israel, the land where God said they needed to be. Because this is just absolutely a marvelous demonstration of what God can do through one poor widow, a woman who gets right with him, goes back to God, draws close to God, goes back. It's also fitting because Naomi was the one who just had in her mind, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Lord has brought me home empty. I have nothing. The Lord is just, it's just, I'm like a beacon and a testimony to everybody around how my life is just ruined. If only Naomi could have seen how great the Lord would bless her at the end. I mean, we can't blame Naomi. It was a really bad situation. You lost your husband, lost your two sons. You have nothing. You're coming back to nothing. I mean, it, it, it was a really, really, really bad situation for her. But one of the things through this story is we learn that God's plan is perfect and filled with his love. Even when we can't figure out the end of the story, we only have these pieces of the puzzles of tragedy, we have to remember that God has this perfect plan and is filled with his love. And he's doing something in your life. And even though it all seems so desperate at the moment, he, God, is still knows what he is doing in and through your life. And we should learn that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the, uh, the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. You've got to hold on to that verse. Because look what happens if Naomi didn't return. Verse 17, also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. What is the genealogy? Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon, or Salma. Salma begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Yes, King David. And King David had a descendant by the name of who? Jesus. Jesus. The Messiah came through this situation. Naomi had no clue. Ruth had no clue. Boaz, none of them had a clue. 
that this is how what God's plan is. The end of the story is perfect. But there was a lot of highs and lows in that life. See, the father of David. See, Naomi's return to Bethlehem and the roots of David in Bethlehem going back to Ruth and Boaz are why Joseph and Mary had to go back to Bethlehem to register in the census of Augustus. We, uh, the decree that said everyone had to go back. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it's with Ruth and Boaz are the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. All, it all works together perfectly. But the consideration of Jesus in the book of Ruth doesn't begin with the King David. Jesus has been through the whole book, picture by Boaz and the office of the Kingsman Redeemer. All of this speaks of the picture of the coming Messiah, the true kinsman redeemer. For you taking notes, hold on, let me give you some things to think about. The kinsman redeemer. To be a kinsman redeemer, there's certain things you had to qualify to be able to qualify for that. The first one we already talked about had to be a family member. Are you tracking with me? Jesus added humanity to his eternal deity so he could be our kingsman and save us. Had to be a family member. He had to be, have the, 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 the 100% man. He had to be a, that, that characteristics. Couldn't just be a, just 100% God. It wouldn't bring that in the kingsman. Wouldn't that be the relative? The kingsman redeemer had the duty of what? Buying the family members out of slavery. What did Jesus do for you and I? Jesus redeemed us from the slavery of, uh, to sin and death. The Kingsman Redeemer had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited. What did Jesus do for you and I? Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind had sold over to Satan. Boaz, the kingsman redeemer to Ruth, was not motivated by self-interest. He was motivated by love for Ruth. He didn't need Ruth. He had a love for Ruth. Jesus' motivation was for redeeming us is his great love for us. Why did he redeem us? Because he loves us. He loves you. Boaz, as a kingsman redeemer to Ruth, had to have a plan to redeem Ruth into himself. Some may around in the community think, you're crazy, Boaz. Why would you take on the responsibility of Ruth and have to have a child at your age and everything else? You have it, your life is perfect. Why would you do that? Jesus had a plan to redeem you and I. And some might think that plan is foolish, that he would come to this earth and die on the cross for the sins of the world. Why did he do it? To save men. Saving men by dying for them on a cruel cross. But that plan 
works and is glorious. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer to Ruth, took her as his bride. The people Jesus has redeemed, that's you and I, are collectively called what? His bride. We see that in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. And we will see that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, provided a glorious and secure destiny for Ruth. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, provides a glorious, secure destiny for us, eternity. See, if you look at all this, but it all comes down to what? The idea that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And this is why he became man. God might have sent an angel to save us. But the angel would not have been our kinsman, so could not do that. Jesus in his eternal glory, without the addition of humanity, in his divine nature, might have saved us. But he would not have been our kinsman without humanity. A great prophet or a priest could be our kinsman, but his own sin would have disqualified him from being our Redeemer, because it had to be perfect. Only Jesus, the eternal God who added humanity to his eternal de deity, can be both the kinsman and the redeemer for mankind. Only he and he alone. Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 8, describes this beautiful ministry of the Lord, of, of this we call the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Do not fear, for you will not be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. Your kinsman redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit with everlasting kindness. I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your kinsman redeemer. The mercies of God. And we're talking about eternity here. God planned to bring Ruth and Boaz together from eternity. That's why Bethlehem, his entrance point, Jesus' entrance point for the coming of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer Fully God, fully man, in Bethlehem, just as God's plan. And lastly, how does that affect you and me? Spiritually, we need to come to Bethlehem. And let Jesus redeem us. Have you come to Bethlehem? Have you met Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Ruth and ministering to our hearts through it. And we thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, our savior, the Messiah, our Yahweh. We thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. May we just go 
deeper in our relationship with you. As you work in our lives sovereignly, working in our lives, you're sovereign. May we put you first. May we put God first in our life each and every day. In Jesus' name, we said amen, amen.